I invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans. Romans, please turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is where we will begin once again. I forget how long it's been. It's been a couple of weeks, isn't it? And last I remember, we're up to verse 11. I've decided to entitle the message this morning, Winning the Battle in Your Mind. And the battle that we're talking about, if you are familiar with chapter 6, is the battle of struggling with sin. And it is to do all with the mind, and we'll get into that more as we go through these very important um, verses that we're talking about. But the question that really I want to answer this morning is how do we approach our struggles with sin? We know and we've gone through that um, uh, we have been justified by faith. But the question in order to really fully understand grace, which is implied from or which comes from justification of faith. The only way we can be justified by faith is through grace. And to fully comprehend and understand grace and, and, and really get your head around it, the question that's asked in verse 1 has to be answered. But it's just interesting how we as a church, not just Fraser Coast Baptist Church, the church as a whole throughout the centuries um, that have gone on since this letter was written, um, It's just interesting how we've twisted Paul's answer, how we've added to his answer. And we've just, we've just, I'm just trying to, as a a preacher, not just personally, but as a a leader of a church and and a flock, to fully comprehend and understand um, what Paul is talking about. And his answer in response to this question of what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This topic is very burdensome for some, but it's very important to distinguish between struggling versus practicing. Because if you've been through this whole series that we've gone through, especially chapter 6, Paul is talking about not sinning as in ever. Paul is talking about Practicing sin. When we, when we think about someone practicing something, they usually do it to get better at it. We have athletes practicing for the next Olympics, and they're going to do that every day of their life for the next few years. But they're practicing something to get better at it. And you could say, or you could relate that analogy to Sinning. There are people in this world that they don't care about their sinning. They couldn't give one iota about it. And some even go at it as far as practicing at it. They get better at it. They, they, they thrive off it. They, they, they just love it. On the other hand, we have to talk about struggling. Struggling with sinning. 
throughout the message, this distinction might become more real if it's not already in your mind. But we have to be real. We have to be real in the sense that, come on, um, there are times in our lives where we are going to struggle with sin. I think of Hebrews where they say, think of that, that, that we all, all have a, like a begetting or besetting sin rather, um, that always the, the devil knows how to get into our mind and knows how to you know, get you down and, um, and we have a battle in our mind. It's a battle. Three words I just want to leave with you this morning. Three words which I hope will help you um, if you are going through this time right now or um, have been. You can reflect on what you did or maybe you will go through it in the coming um, weeks, months or years. Uh, But these three words are know, believe, decide. So if you're writing notes, please write those three words. Know, first of all, you have to know, you have to believe, and you have to decide. And that's what I feel that we've gone through and we're going through in um, Romans chapter 6. So knowing, knowing what? Well, knowing what is happening. Knowing who you are. It's really important to know. Because in order to believe, which we're getting to next, in order to believe, you have to know it, obviously. And Paul gives us these hints. And I, I'm, I, I've, I, sometimes I use these verses, and I've been told they don't use them. But it's very hard when I'm reading on Paul, like, you know, usually every day, and, and I tend to copy his words. But it says, do you not know, in verse 3, if you look with me there, for we know. So he's going to, from one um, uh, negative, do you not know, Two, verse six, for we know, we need to know. Need to know what? Well, in a nutshell, if you're just going, um, if you're just joining us this morning, knowing what it means to be saved, really. Knowing what it means of what has happened in your salvation. Knowing actually who you are in Christ. So what has happened? Well, once a person has come to that decision where they trust the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognize him as Lord and they're calling out for him to save him. Okay, notice how it's believe in your heart. So it's not a belief system as in a knowledge of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. It's believing in your heart. Believing in your heart implies um, that you will call upon him to save you. It's Believing in your heart causes you to really confess your sin. You recognizing that you are a sinner and in need of forgiveness. 1 John 1 9. You need to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Back in John's day, there were people that didn't believe they were in need of forgiveness. They, they didn't sin at all, according to their belief system. So there's many... Another word, receiving him. Those who receive him, he gave the power to become the sons of God, John 1.12. So you have to respond to his revelation. Once you have done that, though, what has happened to you? Well, you died. What died? We came to the conclusion that your spirit, 
Or another word used synonymously with it is heart. Your heart died. Remember, all of us born into this world is given, or we're not given, we're just born with it, where we have a deceitful and desperately wicked heart. God has to change that in order for him, ultimately, to live inside you. So, Ezekiel 36, he takes out your stony heart or your wicked heart, your deceitful heart. He takes that out and he puts in a new one. I believe there's three parts to us as a human. We have a spirit, we have a soul. Our soul refers to our psychology, so our emotions, our personality. And we have um, a mind or the body, the physical, okay, which involves your brain and, and all your members and everything like that. We're going to be mentioning all three this, sun, uh, this, this morning, not this Sunday, this morning, okay? So you need to know the difference between each one. Because a lot of people use soul and spirit synonymously. But I think they're two different things. Soul, the Greek word is suke, where we get our word psychology from. So it's this, your psychology. Does your psychology define who you are? Does your physical attributes define who you are? Anyone brave enough to raise their hand and say yes? It can't be. Who, what defines who you are? No, because our personality is our psychology. What defines who you are is your spirit. Your spirit defines who you are. And then once we've made that decision to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and him taking your old, old spirit out, so he's, t- he's killing you, right? He's, I'm going to say literally, killing you. And he's recreating you with a new heart. And with that new spirit, new heart, he immerses his spirit with yours. It's not just you alone. It's your spirit immersed with his. And this is what Paul's talking about where we are baptized in the spirit. Baptizing, symbolizing a death and a resurrection. We have been born again. Recreated. Once that recreation has happened, or we are a totally new person. We are a totally new creation. What are some other terms? Um, I forget. Yep, we're a new creature. We're a new nature. A new, there's all these terms in the Bible that are a new song even you could relate to um, David uh, writing in the Psalms. We're new, totally different person. And one thing that I really want to stress this morning and repeat is that once this, the Spirit of God has been immersed in ours, the question I have for you is how much do you think of the Spirit of God resides in you? Do you think it's 5%? Do you think it's 90% or anything in between? Or do you think it's 100% of the Spirit? 
doesn't make sense that it's anything less than 100% of the Spirit of God living in you. I ask that question is because why are we preaching and teaching about a second blessing? A second blessing of God's Spirit causing you to do, to be on fire, causing you to do all sorts of things, mostly evidenced by speaking in tongues. But why are we preaching that? It means either, number one, in order to believe you have a second blessing, well, two things. Number one, you either didn't believe that 100% of the Spirit of God dwells in you at the moment of salvation, or you believe that if 100% started you get, um, 100% immersed, was immersed in you in the start, then some of it left in order for some to come back and, 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 and dwell in you. It doesn't make sense. But there are millions of Christians out there believing in this second blessing. But please know, once we come to Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that there is for us to be complete. Ephesians chapter 1. Everything that we need in order to live a victorious Christian life, we have. We have it. But the interesting thing is this. Our soul, our souls react differently. Some people, when they come to this like phenomenal transformation, because it is quite transformational, right? It's a supernatural surgery that has happened in you. Some people just are like this. Some people, I can't fake cry right now, but it's like, I get some water. Some people have, they can't control this. Some people, I dare to say it, maybe on the ground, okay? Don't want to judge anyone. <laughs> but we don't, there's no difference. We, we don't know. It's totally up to what our, our personality is like, really, I, I believe. But ultimately, we can't see someone else, or we can't see that happening in someone else ourselves. Only God can see the heart. Only God can see it because he's the one that made it. He's the one that recreated it. But why do we judge when someone doesn't have the right response? <laughs> or the response that we think should be the right one? <clears throat> so that's what we know. We know. We have a new heart. And therefore, we have to believe something. We have to believe it. And this is where I think we all cut short. We stop short. We actually don't believe this. <laughs> we don't believe, which is why I underline the word reckon. Um, likewise, you also reckon yourselves, which pretty much means believe it, um, affirm it, reason with it. I don't know any other synonyms, but that's what it's talking about. Trust in it. Believe what? Yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So a lot of people know this verse off by heart. It says, yeah, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. But do we actually believe it? And so the question is, what does this look like? 
What should this look like? Because when we get into these seasons, however long they are, where we look at this next verse, where we actually let sin reign, okay? Now, what should it look like when we are struggling? And so, I've been brought up to say, well, say, say no, say no, just deny yourself, just, 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 um, just make sure it's not, it's, 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 it's you wanting something that you are no longer can be affected by. It's, it's something that you've got to just block out, you just got to block it out, just deny yourself and, and everything will be okay because if you do then, well, you know, God's going to be ticked off at you and, and all these bad things are going to happen to you because you just fell into that temptation. Whereas I think believing in this is more, well, because we know who's trying to tempt us, right? It's obviously the devil. God does not tempt us, by the way. It's the devil tempting you. And therefore, well, you can say to yourself, hey, no, this is actually not who I am. This is not who I've been recreated to do. This is actually not part of me anymore. This is actually not me wanting it. This is sin trying to entice me to want it. And our mind might get in the way where it confuses you to think that you might want it. But let's just say we get to the point where we actually do commit the sin, we go beyond the temptation and actually commit it, what happens? Well, we think, oh my goodness. What just happened? I should not have done that. Something's wrong. There's a conflict. And we're going to get into that more right now. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. This is the, pretty much the overall picture, the overall message of what Paul is trying to say. Do not let sin reign. Now, I've had people say, I, re- I think Paul's trying to tell us a Christian will not let sin reign. In other words, if you let sin reign in your mortal body, and we'll get back to that soon, then you're not a Christian. You won't let sin reign. But I don't see Paul saying that. It just says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, I was meant to underline mortal body there. Notice where sin can reign. It cannot reign in your spirit. It cannot reign in your heart. It cannot be touched. A house divided cannot be stand. You cannot have a place in your heart where God reigns and sin reigns at the same time. You cannot have two masters. And we're going to get into a verse later on where it says, it will not have dominion over you. It can't be your master. So that you obey its lusts. Now, I've heard two things here. Just notice that word, its. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. 
I'm not saying this is a, a be or end or, but just have a think about it because I want you to think. What do you think the, the it's is referring to? It's tempting to think that it's is referring to our body. What could it be it's is actually referring to sin? The lust of sin. Because if it's ourselves, well, we're going to be told later on that we actually have a heart that is obedient. It's an obedient heart. It's a heart that is actually addicted to Jesus. You can't get away from Jesus. And it's only because the Spirit of God is immersed in that heart of ours. I'm tempted to lean towards the side that it's not our lusts. It's actually sin's lusts that entices us. Is there a difference? You might argue that there is not, but just a thought that I've been thinking about lately and I haven't um, fully made up my mind of, of, of what that actually means when you um, go to that stage. But what I'm trying to stop is this, where we have seasons where we have to agree that there are times where sin might reign. In other words, that means just means we get into a point in our lives where we get carried away with, um, um, with sinning. Okay, so let's just say uh, we have a problem with not forgiving a certain person. And that unforgiveness, I, I was told that you um, talked about forgiveness last week. Um, let's just say that unforgiveness happens for two weeks, two months, two years, two decades. If this happens for two decades, that unforgiveness, does it mean you're not saved? So, are you letting sin reign in your mortal body with that unforgiveness? Um, lusts, uh, sexual immorality, bitterness, hatred, anything, right? You relate it to your own life. What can reign? Now, what I'm getting at is this. Are we given a time period where this is the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian? For instance, let's just say someone breaks my heart. I don't forgive them for two decades. All of a sudden, I repent, I'm back on track. On the other hand, Someone breaks my heart, straight away, I forgive them two days later. I only needed two days to get over it. Does that define, does that define between being a non-Christian and a Christian? So I'm trying to stop us thinking, oh, a Christian will never do that. A Christian, what, sinning willfully for 30 years? Oh, he can't be a Christian if he's doing that. In other words, our behavior cannot define our spirituality. It cannot be the definition. It's not, our, our, our salvation is not based on our behavior. Our salvation is based on our faith. We are justified by faith. We are not justified by our behavior. I think it's very important to know 
and we'll get into the application of that soon. Peter puts it another way, and this is very interesting. First, he's just said in the previous verses, if you want to turn there, it's up to you. First Peter chapter 2, right, you are a chosen nation. You are a royal priesthood. You guys, like Paul said, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Do you know who you are? And beloved, therefore, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, or, you know, you guys are just passing through this world. This, is, well, this world is not your home. You know, your destiny, your ultimate home is up in heaven. You're just passing through, and therefore abstain from fleshly lusts. Abstain from them. That's the ultimate goal, right? God wants us to not just be holy, but to act holy. That's, that's what the, like a victorious Christian life would be, would, would, would be if, if we um, could have it any way, if we could define it any way. Um, conforming into the image of Christ. That's our ultimate goal as a Christian. Yes? And so, abstain from fleshly lusts, which, this is interesting, war against the soul. War against the soul. When you sin, do you feel right inside? Are you happy with it? Are you, do you feel like content? Or do you feel like you just, you really stuffed up? You know, yeah. Like you, you feel a compulsion to pray about it. You feel a compulsion to, you know, or and 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 that compulsion might not happen straight away, but there's just something not right. In other words, if you could put it in a whole nutshell, you do not have the peace of God when that happens. The peace that surpasses all understanding, because there is a war, a war against the soul. There is a war with your emotions, with your psychology. Something's not right. Something, when I'm talking about having the joy and the peace of God, something's not quite right. And then we think, oh, am I saved? Am I not? Do I actually, you know, believe? Have I repented enough of my sins at the start? And then we question our salvation. We go into doubts. And it goes from there, and then we have all these Christians wondering, just because they're going out there willfully sinning, they're doubting their salvation. Why? Well, they don't know who they are, and they actually don't believe it. But it doesn't stop there. You actually have to decide. You actually have to decide. You have to make a decision to do something. And that is what we find in the next few verses. First of all, do not do this. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't let it happen. Why? What? Because you'll lose your salvation? No, because we know that's not what God has created you to do. God wants you to be victorious in your Christian life. We can't be victorious if our if there's a war going inside us, if there's a battle going inside us. But underline instruments there, because this instruments, when you look at the Greek, you could replace this word instruments with the word weapon. When you look at other places in the Bible, do your research, please. Um, instruments, look at the Greek, and look where it's used elsewhere in the Bible, and you could replace that word with weapon. In other words, don't be a weapon of unrighteousness, which begs the question, could Christians be used as a tool by Satan? 
Could, it be used, could we be used as a tool? What's Satan's goal, pretty much? Could you say that his goal is to promote um, unrighteousness? That, that's what he thrives off, that's what he loves to do. Unrighteousness. If you could just think of every bad thing, just put it into one word, unrighteousness. And Satan's goal is to promote that. Could Christians be used as a tool to do that? Well, I think if we're not careful, we can. If we're not careful, we can. Don't do it, though. Don't. <laughs> I beg you. Don't be that person. Whereas, present yourselves or yield yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments or members as weapons of righteousness instead. Present your members as righteousness. So what I'm getting at is, well, I know who I am. I believe it. But you still need to decide whether you are actually going to present your members. It could be whatever. Usually it's eyes. Usually it's our mind. Usually it's our tongue. <laughs> our ultimate weapon. That can do so much damage that it is. Well, this thing can start wars, can it? Can it not? This thing has started wars before. Use it as a weapon of righteousness, but decide to do it. Remember, we have two choices to make as a Christian. We can either walk according to the flesh, or we can walk according to the Spirit. Remember, a non Christian can only walk one way. An unbeliever can only walk one way. He doesn't have a choice. He, he can only walk by the flesh because he's in the flesh. Whereas because we're in the spirit, we have two choices. We have freedom. And this is what we're getting to next week. We have the freedom to choose. We have the freedom actually to do what's right. We have the freedom to follow righteousness, to obey righteousness. We didn't have that freedom before. It's only because the Spirit of God is in us. It's only because we've been born again. It's only because He's recreated us into a new creature. And it's a marvelous privilege that we have. But we have to be reminded, as most Christians do, especially Jews, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. It all comes back to grace. God's grace. God's marvelous and infinite grace. Sin shall never have dominion. It shall never be a master over you. Just don't let, you, let it um, reign in your mortal body, in your physical body. Body, the one that is not incorruptible. Remember, we'll be glorified up in heaven. We won't have our old, painful, ache, aching bodies. So hopefully that your question is answered. How do we approach our struggles with sin? Know, believe, decide. Now, 
Notice how this is all to do with the mind. The mind is a big part of us that has not been renewed. It is, has not been recreated. It hasn't died at all. Our memories are still there. Our old ways are still in the back of our mind thinking, oh, I used to do it this way. That might still, not, it might still work. And so Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, think on these things. Think on these things. But how stupid are we when we have a problem, let's just say, with language coming out of our mouths. We still go and watch those movies or those TV shows with that kind of language. You still hang out with the same people. What happens if we have a problem with lusts, sexual immorality? We still ponder our minds on those things. And it starts with that. It starts with the mind. It's, it's winning the battle with the mind. But I feel we usually don't do ourselves any favor, any favors because we just dwell on these things. Go back to forgiveness. We dwell on the wrongdoing that that person did against us. We dwell on the bad stuff. We don't dwell on the true and honorable stuff. It's a battle with the mind. And this is the key, the mind. It's a simple instruction, is it not? Sometimes, though, it means we have to walk away. We might even have to actually run away. I just think of Joseph when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife. It said he had to run away. Right? His mind started to think on him. No, I've got to get out of here. This is not who I am. Walk away. It could be relationships that are getting you down. Sometimes you actually have to walk away from that person. It's awkward. It's hard. But you're not doing yourselves any favor when, when you keep on interacting with that person, which causes your mind to always dwell on it and focus on it. Or comes back to the mind. So the final question I have for you today is, are you struggling or practicing? In other words, are you a Christian in this room or are you not? When you sin, is there a war going on? And that's what my proposal is. It's my conclusion. To define whether a Christian is a Christian, well, when you sin, is there a war going on inside your soul? If you have no care in the world about it, well, I think it would be hard to say that that's a Christian. And then now think about the person that you know who's previously trusted the Lord as their saviour, the one that you love, maybe even, and then they are living in an unrighteous lifestyle. Now think about that person. How could you find out where there is a war going on inside their soul? 
I'll leave you with that question. You could ask him. Would they tell you the truth? It's just a very, very delicate and but very significant question to ask ourselves. Because if you're like me, I'm tempted to say, nah. Without even talking to them, they don't want anything to do with it. I'm just going to leave them alone. But is that what we're encouraged to do in the Bible when it comes to bearing one another's burdens, when it comes to reproving one another, when it comes to rebuking one another, when it comes to encouraging, edifying, and lifting one another up? Do we care enough about that person to have the conversation with them and see, is there a war going on inside your soul? Did you know you, you have not been created to do that? That's not who you are. You might think it's who you are right now, but it's not who you are. You've got to believe it. Believe that you are dead to sin and alive to God. And it's only in Christ Jesus. A few applications that I hopefully you can take with you as you go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your love, for your never-failing love. We thank you that your love never gives up. Even though we as your children stuff up so many times, your love for us never changes. Your treatment of us never changes. Your mercy and your grace never runs out. And so, Lord, we just want to cherish that thought and just thank you. And we do pray for those people that have been on our minds through this message. I'm sure you placed people on our minds on ways that we can respond. Maybe you placed our own self on our own mind. Father, we just pray that, as Mike prayed before, that we'll not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Help us to respond to whatever revelation you had for us today. We thank you that we're able to do this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.